You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. We're going to turn to God's Word to 2 Corinthians and chapter 3. We're going to look at the last few verses of that chapter. Uh, 2 Corinthians is a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth when things hadn't been going too well. They weren't too keen on him, some of them. There was a lot of dissension and trouble in the church, and he's forced to defend his own ministry. And up to this point, he has been talking about how God has worked through the preaching of the gospel, and he's making a contrast between the preaching of the gospel and uh, the old covenant law. And we come in to the middle of that. I actually want to read from verse 7, but we're going to look at verses 12 uh, onwards. So it's, you'll find it on page 1159. Verse 7, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory." And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? And then these words, therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even today, even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Why do some people believe and some people don't? Why can you be here this evening and we read God's word and you will hear God's word and somebody might come out and go, that was unbelievable. It's just incredible what God has done. And someone else will go, what was that about? I don't get that at all. Is it that one person is more intelligent? Is it that one person is more awake? Is it that some people just, just are thick and don't get it? No, not at all. What you find is that we can go into many, many different situations and what seems obvious to one person is not obvious to another. If you've been watching Simon Shema's history of the Jews, the Jewish people are an absolutely amazing people and they they have the Old Testament. And from a Christian perspective, when you read things like Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22, you think, why don't they see it? Why don't they get it? There are people today who will read the New Testament, not Jewish people, but they may be uh, atheists or um, 
non-believers and they, they, they read it and they find it utterly horrendous and utterly horrible. Why don't they get it? And it may be that you are here and you're a professing Christian and there's a heaviness on you, there's a darkness, and you don't, you don't get what other people seem to be getting. Well, that's what we look at this evening. We look at questions of why some believe and others don't. Um, can you get your friends to believe? Can you convince people to believe? And we're also going to look at this whole idea of um, being freedom, being free and being transformed. How can I change? The uh, Verve, Verve's album, Urban Hymns, has a, a wonderful song, Bittersweet Symphony, which talks about how I'm a million different people from one day to the next, but at the same time repeats the refrain, I can't change, I can't change, I can't change. Well, we can. These the verses that we look at speak about blindness being taken away and speak about transformation that occurs. And uh, I want to look at that. I want to begin by just praying that God would grant us eyes to see. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is your word, that it is light and it lightens our path. Some of us, O oh Lord, have a darkness a darkness in our minds that we do not understand, a darkness in our hearts, a darkness in our spirits. Help us so that as you speak to us through your word, that the light would come in, that the veil would be removed, and that we would be transformed as we see the glory of the Lord and experience the freedom of the Spirit. Amen. Paul has been contrasting the covenant with Moses and the covenant of the Spirit. Now, last time I said, I'm not going to say much about covenant this time, but covenant theology is essential to understanding the Bible. And what I want to repeat this time is to say that a covenant is not like a contract. It is a promise between people or a promise between people and God, very much like uh, a marriage. Marriage is not a contract, it is a covenant. Under the old covenant, we saw last time, there are three contrasts made in verses 7 to 11, where the, the old covenant was a ministry of death versus the ministry of the Spirit. It was a ministry that condemns versus a ministry that brings righteousness. It's a ministry that fades away versus a ministry that increases in glory. All of us are used to things that start really, really brightly and then fade. We're all, we all understand and grasp that idea. But something that starts really bright and is brand shiny new, and then in a year's time is even brander and shinier and newer, the person who invents that is going to make an absolute fortune. But that's what the gospel is. It's always newer. And in talking about that, Paul now goes on to talk about the boldness. Now, he's commenting on Exodus 34, verse 33. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. 
Whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. Now just imagine that. Imagine you come to church this evening, and when you leave, having heard the word of God, you walk out on the street, and let's say it's dark, your face shines. There are lots of people who are going to come up to you and say, what are you on? Give me some. It's, it, it's you know, what happened? And you say, well, I, was, I met with Jesus. Wouldn't that be absolutely astonishing? Wouldn't that be absolutely amazing? I've seen that a couple of times, actually. I've seen somebody that, that the Holy Spirit so worked in their life that actually their physical appearance changed. But that is not normal. That is not what happens. We do not come in here depressed, down in the mouth, gray, miserable, and bounce out shiny, happy people. Maybe some of you will. That would be incredible. But uh, that's not normally what happens. And yet what Paul is saying, Paul is saying, that's what happened to Moses. Moses went into the presence of God. When he came out from the presence of God, his face was shining so much that people couldn't look at it. He had to put a veil over it. And yet Paul says, the glory that Moses saw, the glory that Moses revealed, was nothing compared to the glory that is revealed through the Holy Spirit, through the gospel, through Jesus Christ. So I want to look these first verses that are up on the screen there in, in terms of boldness and blindness. He says that we have such a hope, with this great hope, we are very bold. Now I went away and looked up all the definitions of bold and uh, there were loads of them so I, I just took five. Number one, not hesitating or fearful in the face of danger. Courageous. We understand that. Number two, scorning or ignoring the rules of propriety, forward, impudent. You know, someone's cheeky. They might say, you're very bold saying something like that. You do not walk in uh, to Queen Elizabeth and go, hey, how's it going? Well, you're very bold. Actually, it's cheeky and rude. Boldness is not used in that sense here. Number three, requiring courage and daring. Bold deeds, a bold action. Number four, and I like this and tied in with this as well, beyond the usual, usual limits of conventional thought or action, inventive or imaginative, a bold solution, for example, to a perplexing problem. And number five, striking or conspicuous to the eye, flashy, showy, a bold pattern. Uh, something is in bold. Those of you who are particularly perceptive, as you look at the screen, you will see that bold is in bold. Uh, I like bold a lot. I would make everything bold, but then that kind of defeats the purpose. Uh, but you, you, we understand what it, it stands out. So bold, in, in the sense that, that Paul is using it here, it's, he's speaking about a, a Christianity which is courageous, a Christianity which stands out, a Christianity which is innovative, beyond normal convention, a Christianity which is daring. A Christianity which is striking. And I, as I was thinking about that, I think so often people see our Christianity and it's timid and it's shamefaced and it's dull. 
and it's embarrassed. And they do not see the boldness that Paul speaks of here. He has this boldness, but he's contrasting it with the blindness. We are not like Moses, who put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. Their minds were made dull, for this, to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It's not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. There was a, if you like, there was a bold display when Moses came out from the presence of God, and yet they, they couldn't see it. It's almost as if they were blinded by the light. They couldn't grasp it. That's why when Paul contrasts the old covenant, he says that it leads to despair and to fear and to bondage because it tells us the law of God and it tells us the majesty of God. It tells us the goodness of God and the love of God, but we can never attain to it. We, we never get there. We can never keep that law. It causes us to shrink away from the light. But the new covenant, where Jesus comes and fulfills the law of Moses for us, where Jesus comes and takes away all our sin, that gives us hope and it gives us boldness and it gives us freedom. And in particular, that boldness is mentioned in uh, two different ways, I think, in the New Testament. One is the confidence we have to come into the presence of God. Now, there's a false confidence. You will get people who go to evangelical churches and they'll come and say, yeah, I'm going to meet Jesus and isn't it wonderful and it's great and hallelujah and everything's brilliant. The trouble is, if we did meet Jesus, if we did come into the presence of God, we we couldn't live with that. It would be something that was way beyond us. How can we have confidence to enter into the presence of God? Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What the writer to the Hebrews is doing there, he's talking about how we can have love. He's talking about how we can have good deeds. He's talking about how we can enjoy meeting together. He's talking about how we can have a sincere, sincere heart, how we can be cleansed and forgiven. And he's saying we can go into the presence of God because of what Jesus has done. We can be incredibly bold. We can ask boldly. There is a boldness in terms of our fear being taken away. Fear of God not accepting us. Fear of our own sinfulness. Fear of being destroyed. Fear of our ignorance. It's taken away because of Jesus. When we look to Jesus, the veil is taken away and we can be bold in that sense. Not bold in the sense of arrogant or cheeky or cocky. But bold in the sense of doing something that even the angels 
could not do. Coming in to the presence of God with unveiled faces. And that means that there is then a boldness in our witness. Acts 4 verse 31, we read this. After they prayed, after the disciples prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That is surely something that is missing in, in, in so much of the church and in so much of our culture. There are, there, are, there are people who will shout the word of God and there are people who come across as very bold, but I think what, what is meant here is people who are prepared to take a risk, who are really concerned about those they are speaking to, but will speak boldly and courageously. And it's not easy to do that. I was at a a meeting this week within the Scottish Parliament, and there was a a wonderful man there called Gordon MacDonald from CARE. And I loved his boldness. I loved his clarity. I loved his love for Jesus. And I loved his willingness to sit there and just say what God says. Sadly, there were two other clergymen there who were the very opposite of bold. They were very confused. They were very unclear. They were absolutely cowardly in what they said. And I could see the members of parliament looking at them just with absolute contempt. What are you trying to say? And there's a, surely for us, there's a place where we can be very bold, not arrogant, not rude, not ignorant or presumptuous, but just courageous and innovative in how we communicate the gospel. Matthew Henry, the old Puritan, says of this that uh, here we, we must use clearness and plainness of speech. We are given boldness. We don't have to waffle and talk around things. We So this morning when we were looking at Job at uh, Elihu's speech, how he took 24 verses to say, let me speak. We don't need to do that. We really don't need to do that. I remember being in a situation once where a man said, "Um, are you saying that I am sinful? Are you really saying that? And I I looked at him, I was a bit scared because he looked very aggressive and he was very big. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, I am. And he was completely floored by that. He did not expect that remark. And he told me afterwards that when he discusses with Christians, they keep backing off when he's really aggressive. And sometimes we shouldn't do that. We need to learn to be bold. As a, a, a summary of this, I would suggest, uh, from Mumford and Sons, So I'll be bold as well as strong and use my head alongside my heart. It's a great, great uh, summary of Christian witness and of Christian worship and of the attitude that's described. I'll be bold as well as strong and use my head alongside my heart. God enables us to see God enables us to understand who Jesus is. God enables us to see our own need, but to see the glory of Christ and to come to Christ. Sometimes people say, 
while we stand by Scripture alone. I, I, you, I don't see how you can say that. And here is, is what I mean. Yes, the Scripture alone is our authority. We don't add to the Scripture. We don't take away from the Scripture. But you can read the Scripture and the veil can be there and not see. You need the Holy Spirit to open Scripture to you. And that's why it's really important when you're, you're coming to hear God's Word that you pray that God would, would help the, the preacher, but that God would also open your mind and your heart and your will. And we pray it for everyone. Every time I, I do a lot of evangelistic work, and every time I go, I, I, I pray, Lord, I can't convince anybody. I can't I just can't do this. You need to open people's minds and people's hearts. And that always gives me great hope. I was an East Coast bride last night, and um, there's a gentleman there who's been at a few meetings that I've done, and I, I know he's an atheist. I know he's really opposed to the gospel. But there must be a reason that he's come to all these meetings. And I, I know I can't convince him. I know I can't do a thing to convince him. But I just pray that God would take away the veil as the word is read and as the word is proclaimed. And that must be the hope that you have for people in your family and for your friends and for for your neighbors, people in your community. We have uh, quite a lot of Muslims in our street and the particular group uh, that most of them belong to. It's a festival that they're having today and, you know, about a hundred turning up in cars and all the clothes and all the rest of it. I honestly cannot look at them and say, I really, really admire their faith and isn't it wonderful? They're really, you know, they're fine people. I'm not saying anything against that, but it's precisely because they're fine people that I look and I say, oh Lord, take away the veil. Take away the veil. I, I, I just want them to see Jesus. I don't want them to become white people and come to our church and all that kind of stuff. I, I, I just want them to see Jesus because ultimately they're following a religion which is darkness and which, which oppresses and doesn't set free. And Christ does set free. I pray that for the Jewish people. I pray that for all the nominal Christians who, who think that Christianity is just keeping a set of rules. I pray that for people who think that there is no God and that they themselves are the highest point of creation. And I just pray and that God would take away the veil. And that, um, we'll, we'll see what happens with that uh, when we go on to the next bit. But before we do that, we're going to sing the song I, I thought would be very appropriate, uh, Amazing Grace. Uh, I once was blind, but now I see. Uh, this is a A slightly different version of the one that many of you will know, but um, still most of it is by John Newton, who was blind, who was a slave trader, who was uh, a blasphemer, an arrogant drunkard, a cruel man, and yet God in his amazing grace helped him to see the glory and beauty of Jesus. And this is one of the songs, many songs he wrote. We go on to read verse 17. Anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. And then verse 17 says this. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes 
from the Lord who is the Spirit. Let me unpack that just a wee bit. The Spirit removes the veil. We turn to the Lord. You want to see, look to Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians, which we will look at, but this is the key verse. God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. In Genesis 1-1, we are told that God created the heavens and the earth, and that when he created it, the earth was um, in chaos, and that there was darkness, and God spoke, and light came, and the the, the light of the, the sun, the light of the moon, the light of the stars. Paul uses that, that exact imagery in terms of Second Corinthians. To believe, to come to see and know Jesus is as great a miracle, if not a greater miracle, than the creation of the universe and the creation of light. That's why I can't convert anyone and you can't convert anyone. It is only the Holy Spirit, unless someone is born from above, born anew, born again of the Spirit of God, they cannot even see the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. Scripture is actually veiled without Christ and without his Spirit. But Christ sends his Spirit. He pours out his Spirit. Those of you who are Christians... You are here as testimony to that. God worked in you. And believe you me, if God saved you, then none of your relatives or anyone around is a problem. Saving you is as difficult as anybody. Saving me is as difficult as anybody. So what are the consequences? What are the results of of the Holy Spirit coming and the veil being taken away and us seeing the glory and the beauty of Christ? Well, first of all, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Augustine puts it this way, very simply, we are by nature the slaves of sin and we are made free by the grace of regeneration. We are dead in sin. We are by nature bound When the gospel comes, our chains fall off. We are set free. And the result of that freedom is, as Paul had earlier said, boldness in speech. Back to verse 12. We are very bold. We are free from Hebrews, again, uh, again, free from fears, rather. Again, as we read in Hebrews. Romans 8.15 says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. If if you are a Christian and God has worked in your life and you see the glory and the beauty of Jesus, you can go to Almighty God who you do not comprehend or grasp and who is far greater than you can possibly imagine. And because of Jesus, you can call him Father. You can call him Abba, which a term that... Some understand is basically what a a small child would say, like dad. Now to say that to the almighty God would be absolute blasphemy. If it wasn't for this tremendous freedom that we have been granted. And that freedom, as I say also in in our speech, in in in, in our witness, we see that. Because we see the beauty of the Lord, it's so much easier for us to share. I think some of us, when we talk about reaching out to people... 
We're talking about programs. We're talking about, uh, we have a sense of duty. We're tr- talking about trying to convince and argue people. But see, when you, you, you've, you've been with Christ and you know Christ, it's so much easier to communicate him. We look to the Lord. That's what he says. We who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory. We're being transformed. Looking is a way of becoming. Now, we saw last week what glory was. It's mentioned several times in this chapter. It's this idea of magnificence, of great beauty, great fame, honor won by notable achievements. And and Paul says, we look to Jesus. We're like Moses. We go into the Holy of Holies. We then have unveiled faces and we reflect the glory of Jesus. And it's as though we're looking in, he's describing it as though we're looking in a mirror. And that mirror, the, the, the light bounces off, if you like, and comes in our faces. Now what's interesting here, for those of you who are really sharp and know your Bibles really well, is that Paul has spoken of the mirror before in, in, to the Corinthians, but in his first letter. And it was kind of in a negative way. He'd said, that we look through a mirror darkly. We see through it darkly. It's almost like it's the veil. But here he's changing that image and he's saying there's this clear mirror that, that it just reflects the glory of Jesus and it transforms us completely. The mirror enlightens and transforms. Now that's an inner transformation. I like, I can't remember who it was, but one man said this, the church is like a greenhouse for people who are all growing into the same likeness. In verse 18, where it says transform, and I have to be careful with all those who can actually speak Greek, but uh, metamorphe, we get the English word, of course, metamorphosis, well, it's not an English word, it's a Greek word that we borrowed, but it's that idea of, of just transformation. Paul uses the same word, Romans 12, 2. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be metamorphized by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The, at least when I was a child, I don't know if they still got them, used to get these toys, transformers. You know, they'd be like a car that would then turn into a robot or various other things, uh, I thought they were rubbish. I couldn't even get them to work I'm that badly uh, at mechanical things. But it was quite impressive when people knew how to do it. There's an, a picture and an image here of us being shamefaced, being weak, being broken, being sinful, being arrogant, being all the things that, that create an ugliness, being transformed into all the things that make real beauty, being transformed almost in every way. And that's why you should never be satisfied with mere religion. You should never be satisfied with just coming to church. You should never be satisfied with just doing good works. You should never be satisfied with just reading the Bible. You should never be satisfied with just praying. You should never be satisfied with just having religious experiences. The only thing that should satisfy you is that you gaze upon Jesus in such a way that you are transformed. Matthew Henry, again, puts it beautifully. We should not rest contented 
without an experiential knowledge of the transforming power of the gospel by the operation of the Spirit, bringing us into a conformity to the temper and tendency of the glorious gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who are these people? These are they who have been with Jesus. Do people know that? Do they know when you go home tonight that you've been with Jesus? Do they know when they see you tomorrow that you've been with Jesus? Because if we're being transformed, they will know that. And remember, the glory does not fade. It's not like you get a a, a wee fill up and then it all fades away. Uh, There's a song that probably many of you won't know by the Rolling Stones, Not Fade Away. And that just kept going round and round my head this week as I I was thinking about that. It's funny, we have this idea, don't we, in the Christian church, that you'll get this kind of renewal, revival, or something will happen, you'll have this spiritual experience, and then it's downhill, gradually fading away all the time. But what if it's not? What if we experience something really wonderful of the presence of God, and God says, that's just the beginning, that's just the shower, that's just the first rain, there is more to come. Because the curtain is being drawn back. And I think that's what I, I love in all of this. I mean, I, I was actually going to preach about 10 sermons on this, so I, I, I am, don't worry, I'm, I am going to stop soon. But um, it's just to get it all together, but this idea of, of the curtain being drawn, drawn back. Christ is the light of the world. So we don't need to be ashamed of him. John Bunyan says this, what God says is best. Indeed, is best, though all men in the world are against it. Seeing then that God prefers his religion, seeing God prefers a tender conscience, seeing they that make themselves full for the kingdom of heaven are wisest, and that the poor man that loves Christ is richer than the greatest man in the world that hates him, shame, depart. Thou art an enemy to my Salvation. Jesus says, if, he's, if you are ashamed of me, the day of judgment, I'll be ashamed of you. Never be ashamed of Jesus Christ. Never, never be ashamed to admit that you are a Christian. Never be embarrassed when people mock and abuse The glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ outshines all of that. I believe in Jesus. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in his word. And I have no intention of being ashamed of it in any way. Now, I'm sinful and so I will get things wrong. I will become self-obsessed and all the rest of it. But I think as Christians... We need to have that confidence. I'm meeting far too many fearful Christians who are going, oh, everything's terrible, or oh, this is awful. And it is awful, and it's far worse than you can realize. It's far darker than you can realize. Far, far, far darker. There are people who work in our church here who are working right at the edges, right at the margins of society, where where there's just so much sickness of mind and, and, and of heart And it's just dark, dark, dark. But we have the light in 
Jesus Christ. You know, if we lose this, I want to suggest something. A saying I heard once, and I don't know who said it, but it was this. Prayer in private results in boldness in public. Prayer in private results in boldness in public. It's an old children's song. I don't know, I don't know if it is a children's song. It sounded like a children's song to me. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. I am not ashamed. No, no, no. I'm walking in faith and victory. Well, that's true. It's true. Be bold, be strong, for the Lord your God is with you. There's a song I hate, but its theology isn't bad. Shine, Jesus, shine. You know, I, I mean, when I hear it sung, it just reminds me of the 1970s and, and, and everything. And yet, that's what we long for. Kendrick got it right. Shine, Jesus, shine. Fill this world with the Father's glory. And the song that we're going to sing in the moment, Light of the world, you step down into darkness. We often sing that when we come in uh, on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening as our call to worship almost. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. But you know, it's very appropriate to sing it as our last item of praise this evening because here you go to worship. You've been with Jesus. You've heard the word of Jesus. You've seen something of the beauty of Christ. I pray that the Spirit works in your life. I pray that the Spirit opens your heart. I pray that the Spirit opens your mind. And you go to share that light throughout the world. Again, thinking of old songs, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Well, of course you are. Of course you are, because you cannot stop it. Because you have an unveiled face that reflects the Lord's glory. You have an unveiled life. You cannot hide Christianity. When I became a Christian, I wasn't over keen on Christians or the church in my arrogance. And I remember praying, Lord, okay, I've become a Christian. I know that you're real. I know that the gospel is real. Please let me be a secret Christian, like I was in Russia or something. And so I don't have to mix with other Christians. I know. Don't let anyone find out that I'm a Christian. It took two days for the whole of my school to find out that I'd become a Christian. You can't hide it. You really can't hide it. If, if Jesus is working in your life, you cannot. It's like a guy who meets the most wonderful woman in the world and falls completely head over heels in love and he thinks, I'm going to hide this. No one's going to see what I think of her. And everyone sees it. He's got the aura wherever he goes. You can't hide if you've been with Jesus Christ. And I would pray that each of us would be transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We pray that God's Spirit would work in each of us. Those of you who are not yet believers, I pray that the Spirit would work in your life and help you to see Jesus. You may have been listening to the Bible for many, many, many years, and you're like the Jews, the veil is there, the veil is there, the veil is there. May it be taken away. And for some of you who are Christians, the veil has come back. You're like the Galatians. You've gone back into bondage. You've gone back into legalism. You've lost sight of Jesus. You've lost sight of the beauty of Christ. May the veil be taken away. And may you know the presence of the Spirit of the Lord. Because where he is, there is freedom. And we see that glory. May that be true for every single one of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that where your Spirit is, there is freedom. 
Thank you that you take away the darkness. Thank you that you do shine upon us in the midst of our discouragements and our depressions and our sins. That you come and you are light in the darkness. Thank you, O Lord, that you take the veil away. And I pray for those here whose minds have been made dull, who cannot see. Lord, open the eyes of their minds. Open the eyes of their hearts. I pray for our friends and our neighbors. I pray for my Muslim neighbors. I pray, O Lord, for uh, people we will meet in these coming days in offices, in shops, in lecture theatres, in restaurants and cafes and pubs and homes. Lord, the world is full of darkness. Great is the darkness that covers the earth. Come, Lord Jesus, and let your light so shine in this place and in this city that the prophecy that a time would come when a man would not need to say to his neighbor, know the Lord, because all would know you, will come true. Lord, we can't do it. We can't convert a single person. But you can. And you have promised to bring in a multitude that no one can number. God, have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon those we love. Have mercy upon this city. Have mercy upon our schools and our universities and our workplaces and our homes and our towns and our villages. Have mercy, O Lord, and let your light shine. Light of the world, come into this dark world, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. Visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.